Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Um, this morning, as we are, we're going to continue our series on uh, disciplines. As I mentioned the first week, we're talking about some spiritual disciplines. As I mentioned the first week, you know, oftentimes we think of discipline in a negative sense, you know, because we think of getting disciplined when we do something wrong. But of course, the word discipline is a good word. It's a positive word. It's a word that has to do with uh, disciple, with, uh, with making improvements, with striving in our lives to do the right things, to have those good habits. And we've talked about several disciplines for the Christian and for the Christian life. And today, I've included one that maybe you wouldn't think of as a discipline. Uh, A few years back, I read a book that uh, was put out by quite a quite popular author, and basically was sort of disparaging the organized church and uh, how bad it's, how unbiblical it is, and so forth and so on. It was very negative, and I appreciated an editorial written in Christianity Today by one of their uh, authors, and it was titled, Who Needs the Church?, which is what I titled my sermon today. And the, uh, the author basically uh, reflected you know, my feelings that, yes, the church has a lot of things wrong with it because it's made up of people, okay, uh, sinful people, and there's a lot to be desired, and yet uh, it is an institution which has been and is being used by God to accomplish so much of His work. And I appreciated the response from Christianity Today uh, to that book, Who Needs the Church? We Need the Church. And so today our uh, discussion, our uh, sermon is on the Christian fellowship, on the church as a spiritual discipline. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that uh, your word would be understood and we would hear your word today, Lord, that we would consider your word and that it would impact our lives and our church. And I thank you for this church family, Lord. I thank you for the relationships and the friendships and the encouragement we receive, but also the stimulation to serve and to live our lives for you. Thank you for the privilege of uh, teaching our children and youth uh, the things of the Lord and raising them in the things of God. We pray for them now as we meet that uh, you will bless the leaders who have prepared hard this week, Lord, to work with our children and present to them the Word of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It is interesting when you think of church and participating in church that if you were to go to the Bible and look for verses that talk about this, that tell us to do this, there actually are precious few. Think about it. How many verses can you think of where you are specifically You know, Paul talks about prayer. We talked about prayer last week. We talk about the scriptures. We talk about serving. We talk about helping others. We talk about uh, giving. How many scriptures can you think of that are specifically directed to the Christians to participate and be involved in church? The one that is always, that always comes to mind is from Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of the very few verses where it's actually specifically told commanded, if you will, by the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 and in verse 25. 
And the context of uh, Hebrews uh, 10, you will, you will find uh, the sacrifice of Christ and uh, what he has done for us. And then as uh, my Bible has a heading on verse 19, the life of faith. And uh, then we come in verse uh, 23. Let us hold unswervingly the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The epistle to the Hebrews, as, as we, you know, we don't know exactly who wrote it, there is a, a strong feeling that the apostle Paul did uh, we, you know, we can't be dogmatic about that. It doesn't say. But the apostle who writes this letter encourages the people he writes to. Hebrews, called Hebrews. It's written to Jewish believers specifically. That's the context. That's why it's called the epistle to the Hebrew, to Hebrew Christians. And this author encourages them that they should be gathering together. Now, one of the reasons why I think we don't have a lot of other places in the New Testament, in the epistles especially, that talk about the importance or need to get together as a church family is because it, there's an assumption. And the assumption is there because the Christian church was birthed out of the context of the Jewish synagogue. And this, I mean, in a sense, in the book of Acts, when, when the Christian message went out, even as Paul traveled, every place he went, he would go to the synagogue first. And as people joined him, as they had to find a new place of worship, they, they apparently patterned the early church service after the old synagogue service. If you were to go to the old synagogue service, and even a modern one today, you're going to have uh, the cantor reciting scriptures. Uh, there were psalms and so forth that were sung. You're going to have scriptures read, and you're going to have scriptures um, uh, given a sermon or talk about. Um, it's very, very similar. And so there's sort of an assumption in the New Testament that this is what God's people do. They get together. They meet together in the house of prayer, the house of study, and they fellowship together. So the author of Hebrews, and in the King James translation, I think it is what we, we learned it, uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And this, this is one of the very few passages that really speak to the discipline of church fellowship, of being part of a local church body. Now, it's, let's just break this down for a moment as we look at this passage. First of all, I want you to notice, because we might look at this and say, well, you know, and, and of course the age-old question, you know, what's in it for me? You know, why, am, why, are you, why are you here today? Why are you here today? If you were to take a moment and, and if someone, if we had, you know, we were in a smaller group, I would ask you to get together in groups of three or four and talk about this. Why are you here today? Are you here today because someone made you come? There may, that may be true for some of you. Are you here today out of habit? It's a good habit, it's a discipline, it's a good thing to do. Um, are you here today uh, because you really desire to come and worship the Lord, to be nourished, to fellowship, to be a part of God's family? Why are we here today? Why have we chosen to come today? And I appreciate it. I, I tell you this, and I really do. I know as I speak for all the pastors here, we, we appreciate so much. And I think of how many places you could be today. And many of you have been here since 9.30 for Sunday school this morning. Uh, you've, you've come now for the worship service and just at least an hour and a half of your time from the time you walk through the doors and the time you leave. 
um, getting here. There are so many things you could be doing today, so many places you Why did you come today? Why are you here today? It's interesting, when you look at this passage, when this, when this apostle says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit or discipline of doing, that it's, it's prefaced, that the, that the phrase before it is, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then he says, therefore, let's not quit getting together. So one of the reasons, hopefully, you are here today is not really primarily what is in it for you. The reason we're here today is we come to worship God to turn our attention to the Lord. And we are here today as well for each other. We are here today to spur one another on. This is a strong word. Um, you know, it's interesting that that's the word that's used here in the, in the NIV. When you think of, a, when you think of a, a wearing the spurs and kicking the horse, you know, with a, a little nudge to, to spur the horse, to spur the horse on. It, it moves it on. Spur it on. And notice what it is. It's toward love and to good deeds. We are here to encourage one another to continue to learn to love and to do good deeds. And the word used here for, for good, there's, there's a couple of Greek words that are just like in every language, there are different words that are used. In this particular case, the word that's used here, when the, if you study Greek in uh, seminary or college and you learn the paradigms, uh, the declensions, one of the, the first one, one is agathos. Agathos, agathu, agathon, agathe, right? Right, remember that, Kevin? Okay. All right, it's the word good. But this is a different word for good here, not agathos. It's kalos, and it's the word that, has, that really implies the results or the effects upon others. Your, what is the effect of your good deeds? You know, the Apostle Paul says, we are created unto good works that we should walk in, and we are not saved by good works. We make that clear. But we are to live and walk in good works. And the good works that we do should have an effect on others. My life should have an effect on you. Your life should have an effect on me and on those around you. And the apostle here says, gather together. And as you gather together, it's prefaced because we are here to spur each other on. You know, I'd hate to think myself of having to have lived my entire Christian experience all by myself. Uh, who needs the church? I need the church. I grew up in this church, as you know. This is my home church, in Teresa's home church. It's kind of a unique situation. I've had the opportunity to, to be a pastor here at my home church. Um, when, I was, when, I, when I came here back uh, 31 years ago, I came as the Christian education pastor. And of course, there were many who said, it doesn't work in your own church, <laughs> okay? Um, and maybe, maybe you might think it hasn't worked in my home church. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still alive. And, um, and I tell you, it's, it's, it's an amazing privilege. It's an amazing privilege to me to, to pastor, to visit people, uh, and to serve people who were, who were my mentors, my teachers, uh, my uh, parents of my friends. And uh, this, this, is, this is the church where uh, Teresa and I stood right here 40 one years ago, <laughs> last year was 40, uh, right, stood right here and, uh, and uh, shared our wedding vows. Uh, it's in this place that in 1967, I think, that I stood over here 
and received my confirmation Bible. Uh, back in those days, we wore white robes. Remember that? And uh, Pastor Peterson, and we, and we had Bible questions to answer. And uh, we were petrified. You know, she stood up here in front of everybody. I received my confirmation Bible. I still have it. Uh, it's in this church that I gave my first message as a young person and youth group. Uh, it's, in this, it's in this church where I dedicated all four of my children. Um, it's in this church where uh, my mother was buried. Uh, my, I had her funeral, I mean, and I conducted the very first funeral I did as senior pastor was my own mother. Um, this is my church. And, and I hate to think of, of life without a church fellowship. Could I survive? Is it possible? Probably. But would I be, would I be held accountable? Would I be encouraged? Would I receive the help that I need to, to share in the life as Christians of doing good, of sharing love? I don't think so. So the apostle says, first of all, spur one another on. It's a very active thought. Spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Secondly, then he says this, let us not give up. You know, the King James uses the word forsake, and it might, I think it might be a better word because here's the thing about it. When I say to you, don't give up coming to church, your first response might be, well, I shouldn't give up coming to church because, um, because you know, I, I need to be there. But it's interesting that this word that's used here clearly is a word for abandon or to desert. To abandon or to desert. Now think about it that way. That the Apostle Paul says, don't abandon the church. Don't desert the church. You know, the, the idea, it could come from a military metaphor. It can have the idea of leaving the assembly exposed to peril in the conflict. The Apostle Paul says that we are in a spiritual warfare. There is a lot of evil in the world. There is a lot of hatred. There's a lot, I mean, I just think of all the horrible things going on in the world today. The terrible things going on in our own, in our own communities. Maybe your own neighborhoods. And, 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 the, and the church, you know, we are an outpost we are an outpost in this battle on behalf of the Lord and what he would have his people do. And, and, and the apostle here says, listen, it kind of changes the focus. It's not so much a matter of don't, don't desert it because of what you get, but don't abandon it in its hour of need. Don't abandon the church. Don't desert the assembly. Don't do that. Because it's, it's something, we'll see here, the reason why it's so important to God's work. Don't abandon it. I want you to think about it that way because that's really the best interpretation of that word. And hence the King James used, forsake not, because it's abandoning. Now I want to be careful here too because I'm speaking of our church, I'm speaking of the Christian church, and I'm speaking on behalf of all Bible-believing and bible teaching churches. And I do use that phrase, Bible teaching churches, because for a church to truly be an evangelical, a fundamental in the sense of, of, of understanding, it has to be a, a fellowship that's based around the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding his word for us. It's a Bible-based church. And, you know, I, and I tell people, and I, and, I, and I will continue to tell people, yes, I would like everybody to come to our church. Of course I would. I'm a pastor. 
We all like everybody coming here. Kyle, you're chairman of the board. We like everybody coming to our church, right? Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Thank you. All right, okay. But listen, but the reality is it's not going to happen. And, but I tell people this. I tell people, listen, you know, for the sake of your family, yes, I'd love you to come here, but go somewhere. Don't just not go. I know churches can get discouraging. I know churches can be hurtful. And I know some, and many have, have borne the wounds of, of, of where you, you know, when the, when the prophet says, these are wounds I received in the house of my friends, in Zechariah, um, you know, where are those marks upon your chest? Um, you don't expect to get wounded and hurt in the house of your friends, the house of God. I understand that. I know that. Um, this is our human condition. But regardless of that, for the sake of your family, you need to have a place that is your church home. Don't abandon the church. I'm not talking about any particular church, but you know, the apostle is talking to fellowships here. He's not talking just about the body of Christ. He is talking about fellowships here. And he's talking about a very real situation. And I want to encourage you today, friends, for the sake of God's work and for the health, spiritual health of your family, don't abandon, don't desert the church. Make it better. Be a part of it. Spur each other on to good works and to love. The third one, let us, you'll notice at the end of it. So it's, isn't it interesting that this idea of, of don't desert the church is prefaced by spurring one another on toward good deeds and love, and on the other side, it's bracketed by, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. This is why we're here today. We're here to worship God, and you're here to encourage one another. Maybe you don't need to be here. Maybe you feel like you don't need to be here, but we need you to be here. You know, we, you, you know and I say this many times, and I, and, I, and I honestly believe this. This is so true. Your very presence here today, you may say to yourself, well, I'm not really serving right now. I don't have any particular call here in the church. Um, but you're here today. Your presence here, I'm telling you, is an encouragement and ministry to others. I've got a family here sitting close. I can't get them a bad time. So you guys keep getting closer and closer. It's because their daughter wants to be closer and sit closer <laughs> up here. And, you know, I've heard so many times young people from so many people that's made such an impression. They come and say, you know, what really, what really impressed me about your church is seeing young people sitting toward the front, being engaged, being in part like that. Listen, you're here today. You're in, you're, your presence today, God bless you. Your presence here today is an encouragement to other people. And that's important to God's work. Forsake not the assembly together. Bookend by the things that we are able to do to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and to good deeds. And so as we think of this, this last phrase here, it's interesting that this apostle says that I want you to think of this especially and all the more as you see the day approaching. Once again this week I had opportunity to talk to, well I talked to our Bible study fellowship leader, Mary Fa, who teaches here at our church. I got a little preview pack of the Revelation study that uh, some of you get to study next year in BSF. 
Um, they're expecting to fill the church up. So if you're interested, get your name on the list, okay? Uh, they're expecting a great turnout for this brand new study in Revelation. And the book of Revelation, as you read the book of Revelation, when all is said and done and, 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 and you study it for a year and you, and, you, and you get that and you get the big picture, the big picture is God is going to win. Satan loses. But, but the day is approaching. We get, we get kind of relaxed and, 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 and just think everything's going to go on the same. And Peter says, don't, don't, don't think that God is lax. Remember with the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is just if it's a day. And this apostle here too, these people in this first generation of believers had a very distinct sense of the return of the Lord. And every generation is supposed to have that same cutting edge just as we are today. And so you notice that this don't forsake the church, don't desert the church. There's an urgency that the day is approaching. There is a day approaching of judgment. There is a day approaching. And, and, and the author says, so, so please don't give up on God's work in this church. You know, I was thinking about this. This year um, is the 70th anniversary. I think it's, I think it's this week on Friday. is the 70th anniversary of VE Day. Victory in Europe. We have some World War II veterans here um, whose lives were really uh, influenced and changed by that. Victory in, in Europe. You know, one of the most um, uh, well-known stories that come out of, of the, toward the end of the war was, of course, the Battle of the Bulge. The Battle of the Bulge. And um, uh, I'm reading a book on it right now. It's about this thick. It's the latest one. It's a brand new book, and I'm enjoying it. I'm, I like to read history. And, of course, there's a story on December 22nd, 1944. My friend uh, Jerry Snow here wasn't too far away. He was in Patton's army getting ready to come up and uh, help uh, when, this, when this needed to happen. December 22nd, 1944, a flag of truce entered the American line southeast of Bastogne, uh, Bastogne the city that was uh, battered and surrounded and uh, taking the brunt in this very critical place in this battle. And the German general sent the following ultimatum to General McAuliffe. To the USA commander of the encircled town of Bastogne, the fortunes of war are, the fortune of war is changing. This time the USA forces in and near Bastogne have been encircled by strong German armored units. More German armored units have crossed the river uh, our near Orthwell. It goes on to say uh, that, that this is in Germans' hand. There's only one possibility to save the encircled USA troops from total annihilation, and that is the honorable surrender of the encircled town. In order to think it over, a term of two hours will be granted, beginning with the presentation of this note. If this proposal should be rejected, one German artillery corps and six heavy AA battalions are ready to annihilate the USA troops in and near Bastogne. The order for firing will be given immediately after these two-hour term. All the serious civilian losses caused by this artillery fire would not correspond with the well-known American humanity. General McAuliffe was given this note. He read it, and he crumpled it into a ball, threw it in a waste paper basket, and muttered, on oh, nuts. <laughs> Later on, his wife was interviewed at a reunion she said, yeah, that, he wasn't a man given to swearing, profanity. She said, that's what he would say when, he was, when he'd had enough. He'd always just say, oh, nuts. And they came to his command post, and they, were, and they were trying to come up and failing to come up with suitable language for an official reply to the, to the Germans. And one of his lieutenant colonels suggested that maybe his first response summed up the situation pretty well, and the others agreed. 
The official reply was typed, delivered, and it was as follows. To the German commander, nuts, the American commander. <laughs> Listen, they were in a critical place. They were in an outpost exposed to the peril, under siege. They could not give it up. They could have forsaken. They could have abandoned. They could have left and deserted. They could have surrendered. But they chose not to. And they were liberated. They were liberated. And the victory was won. And the victory in Europe uh, was secured, and the history of the world was changed. We are an outpost. We are an outpost. And God has called us to stand our ground and to not forsake his work. You know, the other passage I want you to look at this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 3.15. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, as this is one of Paul's last epistles. These are the pastoral epistles. He's getting toward the end of his life. He writes to Timothy, who is one of the young, younger pastors, Timothy and Titus, hence they're called pastoral epistles. And in this passage here, he, he, this, is the, this is the passage where he talks about the qualifications for elders and leaders, for pastors in the church. Very high qualifications. Very high qualifications. Because wherever Paul has gone, he has, he has founded a church. In fact, Paul says, I don't want to build on other people's foundation. I'm a church planter. And he would move on and plant the church. There were a few places he stayed for like three years in Ephesus, a year and a half in, in uh, Corinth. He was stuck in Caesarea in prison for two years. But he continued moving when he could and planting churches. And he appointed elders. And he gave them responsibility for the local church. And he taught them and trained them and, and, and called them to this high calling. And as he writes this to Timothy, look what he says here. Verse 15. Verse 14 says, I'm hoping to come, Timothy. But if I am delayed, you, Timothy, as a leader, will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now look at this which is the church of the living God. He's writing to local assembly. He's writing to a local pastor. It is, the, it is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Listen, that's an astounding passage. Think about what he's saying there. I believe this is clearly directed to the local church. This is not just to the church, the body of Christ. It is the church, the body of Christ. But it's the church, the body of Christ, even today, I prayed earlier for our pastors. Um, I've been in Africa, and I've been in Southeast Asia, and I serve on the GMI mission board. And we work alongside with, with African and, and Asian pastors and Latin American pastors. And, and, and I know from being there, and, from, and some of you, and Pastor Gary would know, as he spent years in the mission field, we know what some of these pastors what they sacrifice to serve in the pastoral ministry. They're bivocational. They work, they farm, they do other things. They, I mean, I, the email not too long ago from one of our missionaries in, in uh, Cambodia traveling 14 hours on a bus to go somewhere to work, to do the work. 14 hours on a bus and a not very nice bus to do the work. 
Uh, these, are, these are people who are committed to God's work. Why? Because the local church, the Apostle Paul says here, consider it. You can read it. You decide. Look what it says here. God has, dis, has instituted, God has decreed that the local church that is faithful to God's word and preaching and teaching God's word and doing what God's word said, as far as I can read this, it appears to me what he says is that this church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. These are architectural terms. These are building terms. You think of those buildings with, with the pillars. And the, the word for foundation here is also could be the word bulwark. Um, it, it, might be the, it might be the foundation floor. It could be a retaining wall. It's a bulwark. God's truth, the wonderful message of God's love and compassion and forgiveness for sins, the message of security of the believer, the hope of heaven, the compassion and love of God. You know, as we, we pray for Elisa, and we, and we realize God's compassion and care and the peace he gives, even in times like this, when you're looking at a possible very difficult surgery, the peace he can give. This is the truth that God has given us. And who, who has he put it, who has he entrusted it to? He has entrusted it to the church and the people in the church. And this is why he says, don't abandon, don't forsake, don't give up on the church. It is the bulwark and support with the pillars of God's word. One of the commentators said this, each local church has in its power to support and strengthen the truth by its witness to the faith and by the loves of its member. Each local church has in its power to support, pillar, and strength bulwark or foundation, the truth of God by how we conduct ourselves, how we spend time with God's word, how we share God's word and God's love. That's a powerful passage of scripture. I don't know if you've ever noticed that verse or not, but it's pretty powerful that this is what we are called to. This, that's not a very good picture. I know it's a little shaded there, but that's our church. That's this church. We are not the only church in Shoreline. We meet with pastors from all the different churches. The, the, the day of prayer celebration being celebrated at the Shoreline Center is sponsored by the local churches and pastors in our fellowship here. We are one church. But this church is entrusted. You as the people of this church, whether you're members or not members, if you're participants and active in the life of this church, we have been entrusted. God had call, has called us to be pillar and foundation of his truth. We've been here for 50 years. And we've been talking as our elder board and looking ahead and wondering, talking about where God's going to lead this ministry in the future. What is our vision for this ministry? We're going through that right now. You pray for us. We had a, all, a couple a, a retreat type meeting last month. We're going to be working in smaller groups and we're going to be working toward this fall at our annual meeting what does God want us, what is this church going to look like 50 years from now? Can you imagine that? Will it even be here? Will it still be faithful to God's word? Is it possible that one of these little kids that went out here, maybe one of the kids in the nursery will be the next pastor of this church? Will be serving somewhere 
in the mission work, will be serving in a significant, will be serving in leadership in this church. Listen, friends, and young people, if, if God's calling you to ministry, and I, and I, again, I, I'm always kind of careful how I say this. I don't want anybody to think that what we do as pastors or as missionaries, as full-time Christian workers, is more important than anything anybody else is doing. That's why we're called the body of Christ. But it is important, if God calls you to that, that you respond. And parents and grandparents, please, don't you ever, don't, I don't want to ever hear any of you say, I'm going to be a little tough on you here now. I don't want to ever hear any of you say, I don't want my kids to go into ministry. They'll, they'll never make a living. Do I look like I'm starving? I don't want my kids to go into the mission field. They might, if Sam Benton talks about this, they might, God might send them to Africa. And Sam says, is that the worst in the world that could happen to you is to get sent to Africa? A man whose, whose father spent 70 years as a missionary in Africa and the hardest thing in his life was to have to come home for medical treatment at 90-some years old and not go back to Africa. I don't want to ever hear that from you. Don't ever hold your kids back from ministry. And young people, if God is calling you to ministry, listen and respond because it's a, it's a high calling. This is the bulwark and pillar of God's truth. And finally, I want to say this. You know, I want to just take a minute and say, I want to speak to myself, to the other pastors here, and to our elder board. And I want you as a church family to understand this. If you go to Acts chapter 20 with me for a moment. Acts chapter 20. And as, as Paul is saying his goodbyes to the, to the people at the Ephesus elders, they had to come out to Miletus to meet him. I mean, they had to come out to the, to, to the way he's heading to Miletus. And he said, I'm not even going into town. I can't, I got, I got to keep going, but I want you to come here. And they came and, they, and he had this impassioned speak with him, with them. And he talked to them about, about what, what, what God has, what God has called them as elders and, I, and elders in this church and pastors in this church. And I want the rest of you to hear this too because you are praying for us and you are supporting us and you are encouraging us. Right, listen, I want to tell you, friends, there is a lot to criticize about the Brian Bible Church. Believe me, I've been here for 50 years, except for six years in Minneapolis. There's a lot I didn't always agree with. There's a lot to criticize because we're people. But I want to tell you something, parents and grandparents. If you foster a spirit of criticism in your family, then don't be surprised if your children are critical as well. What are we doing to make it better? What are we doing to, to have the discipline of sharing in the life of a church and not forsaking it? Look what the Apostle Paul, elders... And I say this to people because I want you to understand the, 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 the severity and the seriousness of the call to those of us in ministry and to the elders and leaders in this church and every church of God. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves, elders, and all the flock. This is shepherding language. Some people say Paul never used the term shepherd. Baloney, it's right here. He's talking about the shepherding language. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
elders, pastors, Pastor Jim, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's serious. That's serious to think that when we stand up here and present the word of God, when we enter into your lives and try to shepherd and help as elders and pastors, when we meet as elders and, and share and discuss and take serious the ministry of this church, that we are dealing with God's flock who he purchased with his blood. And you need to pray for us. You need to encourage your leaders. You need to be a part of their lives and you need to understand that when, when, when someone comes to you and says, will you, will you serve as an elder in this church, friends? That is a high calling because you are being asked to shepherd the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood. Forsake not. Please, do not abandon one of the reasons General McAuliffe, reading this book I'm reading, one of the reasons he said, ah, oh, nuts, is because he actually didn't think the Germans were winning that battle. He thought they were coming to surrender when they came with their white flag under truce. He thought they were coming to surrender because he thought they were winning the battle. He, he was convinced they were going to win. And listen, friends, as much evil and as darkness and sin and, and terrible things going on in our world, and, and as difficult as it is, God is going to win. He is going to win. With or without you. <laughs> it's not up to me. We're simply servants. It's our privilege. Please, don't forsake the church in its hour of need. But come alongside. It's not going to get any easier. The discipline of sharing in the ministry of church is not going to get any easier because as we have seen in our lifetime, there is going to be more and more and more draws and attractions for your time and energy and money for you and your family than coming to church and sharing in ministry and giving of yourself to God's work and sacrificially giving money you could spend on anything else to God's work and the mission work. It's not going to get easier but God has called us to it. And I want to close with this. I know I've told this story before, but there are some things in my life as a pastor that have happened that have just uh, impacted me and just really put everything in, in context. It was back some years ago when a dear friend of mine, Wilson Fossey, who uh, many of you remember, and it was, a, it was a Good Friday. And it was on that Good Friday Wilson had three children. Uh, one daughter died. She was severely disabled. And then Roger, who was a couple years older than me, and Jim, a friend of mine who is my age. And it was on that Good Friday that Roger, in his 40s, five grandchildren, Ruth Van Dusen's, I mean, five children, Ruth Van Dusen's grandchildren, uh, father of five, former Annapolis graduate and military officer in the Navy, flying home from a business trip. And his plane slammed into a mountain, and he was killed instantly. Strong Christian man, serving the Lord, loving God. And it was on Good Friday. And I went over with Pastor Schutz, and 
uh, we went over there to, to pray with them, to shepherd the family, to console them, to, to just be with them. And Wilson was scheduled to play piano that Good Friday night. I think Eun and Jean was probably on organ. He was supposed to play the piano. And so as we left that place, we, Vernon, Vernon and I talked and said, well, we'll be fine with just the organ tonight. You know, everybody's going to understand. We all gathered like this. Service is ready to start. Here comes Wilson. Walking right down that aisle. Went over there and sat at that piano. Some of you remember how Wilson played the piano. He didn't read music. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I don't know how you play a piano reading music. I don't get it, you know, but uh, the ten, there's ten fingers. I don't know where they all go, Carol and Shelley, where you, you know. Without him, he, he, he sat down there and just played that piano for those Good Friday hymns, pulling out his handkerchief and wiping his face and weeping. I mean, he was weeping while he was pl pl playing the piano. His handkerchief was out as much as the music, anything else in the church that night. He got, we got down to service. And I went over to Wilson. I said, I said, Wilson, you didn't need to come tonight. You didn't have to come and play piano tonight. And Wilson said this. And this is what spoke to my heart about what it means to be a part of a church family. The bulwark and pillar of truth. Wilson simply said this in, in his tears. There isn't any other place I would rather be tonight. Don't abandon the church. Do your part. Be a part of what God is doing. Make your family a part of what God is doing. And let's move forward as a pillar and a bulwark of the truth of God. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for each person that's here today, Lord. Uh, we love uh, one another, and I, and I just thank you for these faithful people who have come. And uh, uh, as we've said, Lord, we're not a perfect place, but we are a place that's been privileged to lift up your word, teach our young people and children, encourage one another to good works and to love, and to share the wonderful news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just give you thanks this day for this family of God and their willingness to come and be a part of your work and commit even these, this time this morning on this beautiful day where they could be anywhere else to come and to be a part of this ministry. But we leave now, and the church doesn't stay in this building. The church has gathered so that the church can scatter and be living witnesses with our mouths and our lives of the awesome and marvelous and amazing love and grace that you have shed abroad in our hearts. So in Christ's name, we all pray together and God's people can say it together.